This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want to begin with a dangerous question this morning. What goes through your mind when a preacher says he's concluding his message? Let me repeat it. What goes through your mind when a preacher says he's concluding his message? I've preached in places where I said in conclusion and there's all this rustling because people are tucking things away, they're closing their Bibles and they're wondering if they're going to beat the rest of the Baptists to lunch at a restaurant close by. Today we're going to see what happens when Jesus concludes one of his messages. Now our hearts ought to be what I believe was true of those who listened to the Lord preach that day. If it's truly a message from the Lord, spiritual-minded people are waiting for the final appeal of what they should do with the truth that they've heard. We talked about standing before the Lord. For believers, you do realize, right, that we're going to give an account for everything that we've heard from God's Word. We are. So spiritually minded people are listening for that final thrust, that final appeal. All right, here's what God has said. What are you going to do about it? A good sermon will leave the listener with a sense of obligation and necessity to do not what the preacher said. We're simply heralds. We're just spokesmen delivering a message. But to do what the Lord has spoken. This is exactly what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7. Now remember that the overall theme of the sermon is how kingdom citizens live here on earth, this alien territory, compared to how earth citizens live who don't know the king. Your life this past week should have been different as a citizen of heaven, if you know Christ, then those that you rub shoulders with who are citizens here. There should have been a great contrast. The behavior of kingdom citizens is best described in Matthew's gospel and even here in the sermon as righteous living as we meet our obligations to God through transformed lives. Jesus was not just preaching about conduct or some of the Pharisees would have been eligible to enter the kingdom. They really worked hard on their conduct. But it wasn't about conduct. Instead, Jesus taught that we are to seek first, above all else, His righteousness. And of course, that's what He taught here in the sermon, chapter 6 and verse 33. And that righteousness only comes by a broken, repentant spirit and then faith dependence on Jesus Christ who alone can save. 
Now, a year ago when we started this series, we actually took time to talk about how does one get that righteousness and staying true to the context of this gospel, we took time to look at Matthew 21. And I'd like us to turn back over there quickly. Matthew 21. And notice the Lord tells a story and then he makes an application. Look at verse 28. Matthew 21 and verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He, the son, answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. This is one of those yes sirs in the Bible, all right? I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did, of the two, uh, did the will of the Father? Jesus asks. And they said unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto them, Now watch this, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So what, what is righteousness? It's taking God at his word. Initially we may rebel, we may push back. We want to go our own way, do our own thing. But the Lord says that publicans, tax collectors, they were thieves in Jesus' day. And, and those that are living uh, sexually immoral lives, uh, that crowd, if they repent and then believe on what the Lord has said and follow what he said, they get to be part of the kingdom. So Jesus began the conclusion of his message. You'll remember back in chapter 7 and verse 13. So just block that out in your mind, chapter, or, uh, chapter 7, verse 13 through the end of the chapter. He taught his listeners that there are, for everybody walking on this earth, there are two roads. One is narrow, leads to the kingdom, to heaven. One is wide, it leads to eternal destruction. Few are on the narrow road, many are on the broad road, the broad way. That's verses 13 and 14. He said that there are two trees. You can tell who is truly righteous by their fruit. That's verses 15 to 20. Now King Jesus reveals to his listeners that there are two judgments and then two foundations. We're all going to stand before the Lord at one of those two judgments. And then there are two foundations. That's eternal. There are two foundations here that you can be building your life on. So he starts with an eternal focus, what we've done with the king, whether we've received Christ or not, are we which judgment are we going to be at? And then, based on whether we've received Christ or not, how are we building our lives right now? Hence today's title, The Necessity of Jesus' Righteousness for Eternity and for Now. The necessity of Jesus' righteousness for eternity and for now. It is significant how God views you right now. If he looks at you and what he sees is Jesus' righteousness because you admitted to him you were a lost sinner and you received Christ as your Savior. When Jesus saved you through faith alone, 
He put his righteousness on you, and that's how God sees you. If you've rejected Christ, you've, you, you don't believe the Bible, you've got some other religious system in your mind or some formal system that the world has followed, if that's what you're trusting on, when God looks down, he doesn't see your righteousness because you don't have any. And I don't either. What he sees is filthy rags, he sees sin, and a soul condemned unless we're willing to turn to him to be washed clean, forgiven, and, and be able to receive eternal life by faith. All right, so the necessity of Jesus' righteousness for eternity and for now. Let's begin uh, where we pick up our text, chapter 7, verse 21, the eternal consequences of Jesus' sermon. There are consequences for what we do, even with this message. One of five that Jesus preached in Matthew's gospel. Here's what chapter 7, verse 21 tells us. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Now here's the way you need to read that. Lord, Lord, wait. Jesus places himself as the divine judge in supreme power and glory at the final judgment. Now this is repeated again in the next verse, where they say again, Lord, Lord, wait, not so hasty, not so fast. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So immediately we're confronted with the fact that not everyone who professes Jesus' deity is a citizen of heaven. Now think about that. I have talked to people about their eternal destination. And they've told me, well, I believe Jesus is God. This text tells us you can have a head knowledge of that and not be headed to heaven. Lord, Lord shows an urgency as those before the Lord at this judgment know they're in serious trouble. Now, we could take time, and, and, and I wish we could develop this more, but the reality is the great white throne judgment that this shows us, when, when you look at time, that great white throne happens at the end of the millennium where all, believer, or all unbelievers are judged at that final judgment. So here's the reality. They have all been in hellfire. They're brought out for this final judgment, except for unbelievers during the millennium. And so most standing before the Lord already know we've been condemned. But it's as though they're looking at this final judgment as their final appeal. We get to talk the Lord out of our judgment. And so we're going to call him Lord and we're going to appeal to our own good works. And Jesus is helping everyone understand it doesn't work that way. Why? Well, Jesus says, only he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, they're the ones that get into heaven. The word doeth is used again in verse 24 where the will of the Father is equated with hearing Jesus' sayings. Look at it. 
hearing what Jesus has said and then doing them. Do you realize how much of our Lord's ministry was focused on one thing, and that was believe on me. Believe me. Don't trust your own good works. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees, that's what religion does. Don't do that. Believe on me. In fact, his teaching will go so far as to say, I'm the bread of life. You have to receive me. Same principle. Believe that I have come to be your substitute, to pay your sin debt. I'm going to a cross. And I will take your death so you can have my eternal life. I'll become your sin so you can be my righteousness. I'll die that you might live. Now John 6, 28 and 29 in John's gospel clears the whole matter up for us. Here's what John 6, 28 and 29 say. Then saith they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he, God, hath sent. Doesn't get any clearer than that. Then the Lord says this in verses 36 and 37, But I say unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. It's a problem. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And what's implied is they'll come unto me in faith. They'll believe me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. It's just the opposite of what the Lord is warning about in the Sermon on the Mount. I won't turn you away. I won't cast you out. Believe on me. Now the reality of many being cast out of the Lord's presence at this final judgment is the reality back now in chapter 7 and verse 22. Take a look at it. Many, this is on, who are on the broad road, verse 13, will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now the way the original language constructs this, listen carefully, here's what they're saying. Through the instrument of thy name. Prophesied. In Jesus' name. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. That word wonderful, it's translated wonderful works, is the word dunamis. These were powerful works. We could say these were miracles. One commentator pointed out, these aren't false claims. Jesus never says, oh no, you didn't. Evidently, they had done it. They weren't false claims, but here's the point. They're insufficient claims. Through Jesus' name, you may have done a miracle. It's not going to earn you heaven. And then will I profess. Now in legal terms, this is literally a word that says, I will deliver my verdict. That's what it's saying. It's to make a legal binding proclamation. I will profess unto them 
Here's the verdict. I never knew you. Now it's okay if I think I recognize somebody in a grocery store and they say, I don't think we know each other. It's a whole different matter when the Son of God says, I don't know who you are. And then he'll say, depart from me. Literally, go away. Ye that work iniquity. And that last phrase gives us the crux of the whole matter. The idea of working iniquity, that word is the word for lawlessness. Those who continue to do lawlessness because they don't have a changed nature. All they can do is lawlessness. And though they may have done some religious works, even some powerful works. By the way, God can do whatever he wants in his name. I look at the Old Testament, and you'll remember that God directed some unsaved kings in Persian Babylon to do some pretty amazing things, including rebuilding the temple and the, and the walls of Jerusalem. He can use unsaved people to do some pretty powerful things. That's his business. Doesn't mean they're heaven bound. And the fruit of the tree, again, and the Lord identifies it here, is a lawless life. A life where there is not consistent change based on a changed nature through faith in Christ. So we have to pause and take stock in what is happening here. First, there are many who have facts about Christ who have never had faith in Christ. I think this especially is a problem here in the south. Now there are folks further south that don't think we're in the south. You do realize that, right? Okay. But everybody knows the lingo. They can tell you about God and Jesus and, and great-granddad planet or started that church over there. You know, we, we can hear all that. But once again... Many who have the facts about Christ have never had faith in Christ. You can have the facts about smoking tobacco, and that that'll kill you. But unless you put your faith in those facts and stop smoking, the facts won't help you. And the same is true when it comes to Christ. Second, Jesus may allow you to do powerful works in his name. Again, he reserves that right. But that doesn't mean you're born again. Now, folks, this is where this really gets sobering, okay? And I, our singing, our worship today focused on Christ's love. And I want you to know, as Jesus preached this message, there was authority, there was power, but there was also compassion. And I've asked the Lord this morning to give me that compassion and as I deliver this truth. But here's what's sobering. In Luke 10, Jesus sent out 70 of his disciples, including the 12. They also cast out demons. You remember who was among the 12? Yeah, you, you, you're right with me. A, a Jew named Judas. They all come back. They've all seen God's powerful works, but one of them was not a believer. Judas. 
He was never saved. Third, without you having Jesus' righteousness by faith, your righteous works are filthy rags. That's why Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our, unright, our, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind. Now here's the parallel to the text and what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. We like the wind have taken us away. So here's the bottom line. You can know Bible facts, know Jesus is Lord and still end up at the wrong judgment. You can still be told to go away by the one who created you, loves you, and gave himself for you on a cross. Now here's the good news. It doesn't have to happen. You don't need to show up at the wrong judgment. This is an appeal to anyone sitting out there. Now remember, the, the, at the start of the sermon, we're told that Jesus got away with his disciples. Judas was sitting on that mountainside. There may have been some others there that were following, at least at that point. These are only disciples. But the Lord wants to make sure if you're out there and you claim to be a disciple and you are not because you have not placed your faith in Christ, here's the wake-up call. I want you to be mine. But you have to come on my terms. You have to believe on me. Recently I had the opportunity to witness to someone. This was about a week ago. They found out I was a pastor. In our conversation. And uh, this individual said, Oh, I was raised in such and such a Baptist church and told me where the church was. And I said this, Wonderful. So when did you come to faith in Christ for salvation. I was hoping I would get a biblical response. You know what the answer was that I got? I was baptized when I was 10. I didn't ask you if you were baptized. I didn't ask about your righteousness. I'm asking, did you put your faith in Christ for His righteousness? And folks, there's an eternity of difference between those two, including two different judgments. Now, after revealing the eternal consequences of his sermon, Jesus closes with the earthly consequences of his sermon. It takes into account the whole sermon and then the immediate context, his conclusion at the end. So here's what he says. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. And this is in contrast, verse 26, and those who hear but won't do. All right, so keep that in mind. He's, again, he's going to contrast two things here. In this case, two foundations. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken, I'll compare him to a wise man. All right, this is someone who has understanding and is sensible. Now, I know we have contractors and builders in the room here. But I, this is not just something for contract, contractors and builders. All of you, I'm quite sure, live in a house that's got a good foundation. 
Maybe it's not the best fine. It may have cracks in it, but at least they tried, okay? We all understand how important a good foundation is. And so, liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, I wish we had time to go back and read the whole sermon, chapters 5 to 7, again. By the way, go back and read that for yourself. I, I appeal to you. This will help you build the right kind of foundation. Why? It's a blueprint for a life that is ready for eternity and able to withstand the storms that are going to beat upon your life. Again, I want to just encourage you to pray for Sister Matthews. Let me tell you what happened yesterday afternoon. The family calls. I rush up to the ICU unit, the hospital where she is, so that we can meet with the medical staff about what could happen going forward. We're sitting there, and in the door walks Mike Phillips, the waiting room. Now, we, we all know Brother Mike, and immediately, here's what I thought. Somehow, Mike found out they're having a hard time. Well, God placed on He came up here to pray with us. That wasn't it at all. His wife's in the same ICU unit. She just had had a stroke. And so, we meet up there. I have prayer with the family. Mike and I step out in the hall and then go in to see his wife. We step back into the hall. We have prayer. One afternoon. I don't have to convince you that storms are going to beat against your house. Your life. You don't know what a day is going to bring forth. And there aren't always storm clouds to warn you that you're about to catch it. You better have a good foundation, and the foundation is Christ. Man is born unto trouble. As sure as sparks fly upward. But the God-man Jesus Christ was born to bear us through trouble. And then to deliver us from it completely into his eternal kingdom. Isn't that glorious? But storms are coming for the redeemed and for the unrighteous. Look at verse 25. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. The previous house stood firm. But this house fell not, or I'm sorry, this house fell not, for it was founded. The foundation was laid upon the rock. I apologize, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Jesus reminded his listeners in verses 25 and 26, these sayings are mine. I'm the source of them. It's the reason that you will read in your New Testament especially in the King James Version, verily, verily. What does that mean, truly, truly? Many times you and I will say something and people are looking at it and say, it's true. Jesus never had to do that. He would say, it's true, it's true, now let me tell you what I need to say. Why? He's the source of truth. 
So these sayings are mine, therefore they carry the power of the eternal king uh, and are a sure foundation to those who will build on them. Build on this. Don't build on anything else, build on this. Now read on, verse 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Now, we live near water and lots of beaches. And I'll confess to you this morning, I've seen some pretty amazing sandcastles. Been on the sea? I mean, they're works of art. There's, there are some real sculptors out there who know how to work with sand. But there's something about a sandcastle the elements are going to win. The waves, the rain, it's going to win. Don't build on the sand. Sand moves. Renee and I watched in horror one evening. We were down at the Outer Banks and we were just, we loved these later evening walks along the shore. And some dear young lady, I'm sure it wasn't her pickup truck, it had to be Dad's. Drove down to be along the water in that pickup truck. And she got stuck as the waves were coming in. And I watched the water rise up above the, halfway above the wheels of that pickup truck. And I thought, oh no. Her dad's going to kill her. No, I didn't, I didn't think that. I, <laughs> oh no, they're not going to get that truck out of there. They called a wrecker and he got there in time to pull that thing out of the water. Sand is not a good place to park your vehicle and is certainly not a good place to build your house. Verse 27, the rain descended, the flood came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And notice this, and great was the fall of it. There was a disastrous end to that house. In light of the eternal ramifications of what Jesus is teaching, you build your life on sand, the end's going to be devastating. And by the way, so will your life here. It'll be devastated. Now again, this is the first of five great messages Jesus taught in Matthew's gospel. But Matthew, under inspiration, doesn't leave us with just the conclusion of the message. He reminds us of who the preacher was. He stops quoting Jesus. He stops quoting the message, and then he gives his conclusion. Verse 28, And it came to pass when Jesus has ended these sayings, the people were astonished. That word means astounded. And what's interesting is in the Greek language, it's an imperfect, which means though the sermon had ended, it hadn't. It still continued to take place in their minds as they went away. They continued to think about it. This leads me to believe, Pastor Coles, that when this was done, there wasn't a fellowship time. I think people quietly stepped away from that hillside and what they had heard still was working on them. 
Now why? Verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They hadn't heard from a scribe or a Pharisee or a rabbi. They had heard from the king. And what he taught was now going to impact their lives now and in eternity. Can I caution us about something? There are a lot of people today that would have looked up on that hillside and saw, oh, there's that Jesus of Nazareth. And there's that handful of followers up there listening to him. But the setting isn't right. He's not in a forum, colonnades. He's on a, he's on a hillside. He's not even in a church. He's, he's on a hillside. Do you know that there are many in our world and there are some Christians if it's not coming at you with a colored backdrop and, and, and sound bites on some network with all kinds of flashy stuff happening, you wonder if it's true or not. If King Jesus says it, doesn't matter where he's standing, you better listen. And don't believe it because there's, there's a, uh, a, it's a, a network or, or these people are, are well-known in popular culture. That doesn't mean anything, people. Listen to King Jesus. Listen to Him. This sermon is the key to mountaintop living. We sing about it, don't we? I'm pressing on to higher ground. That's the point. Being able to grow as heaven citizens living here. May we seek first Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness so that all these spiritual benefits can be added to us. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful message Lord Jesus, I'm sure you weren't using notes. But with your creation as the backdrop, you reminded those who had placed their faith in you how to live righteously here and through your righteousness obtained by faith to be with you forever. Lord, the truth of this sermon is so powerful. These folks went away having experienced the power of your words. Now, Lord, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. And you want to use it in our hearts right now to prepare us for now, the life we're living here, and then to prepare us to be at the right judgment. To not be surprised. Or we, don't, we don't have to be surprised. But Lord, to be ready to stand before you as our king, to give an account as your servants who have been blood-bought, who stand robed in your righteousness, uh, Lord, and then who are going to spend all eternity with you in glory. Help us to respond. This message demands a response.
Help us to give our hearts to you with whatever the need is. Help us to yield to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.